This conversation is one of my favorites. I want to nerd out so much on all the things we talked about. Jill Griffin is a wonderful human and she's a strengths coach. She's worked with some pretty high level companies and her message is just something that everyone needs to hear brain injury or not, but especially for my folks after a brain injury or a concussion, Jill just talks about her journey through concussion recovery and not giving up. She was such a fighter during this whole time. And I was, I was just really taking in the conversation a lot during this podcast. So I really let her go and just share with you guys what worked best for her. I just want to remind you that if you're loving this podcast, if you're getting value from this podcast, please help me in making it successful. There's ways that you can help me do that. So by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast, or if you're using Spotify or another podcast player, please leave me a rating and review. Also, sending me a message telling me what you want to hear. So this is a Jen Blanchett production. There's no one else that helps me with this. I'm one person. So if you message me, then you get a message back from me. So that's kind of cool. So certainly send me a message. Feel like you can do that, that if you have a question or if you want to hear something else on the podcast, that this is a two-way conversation if you make it. So reach out to me. Lastly, I'll just give you a couple takeaways from this recording. So Jill talks a little bit about what helped her physically. A lot of her symptoms were physical. And one of my favorite points actually in this conversation was when she told off her doctor because he told her to basically not being around any moving vehicles and she lived in Manhattan. That makes no sense. So I think, not that I'm telling you to tell your doctors off because I'm not telling you to do that, but if you're seeing someone who is not listening to you, then please see somebody else. See somebody who has training in concussion and that listens to you that is there for you as well. It's so important. So let's have a listen to this wonderful survivor. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. It's so great to have you. Hey, Jen. Thanks. I really appreciate you inviting me here. Awesome. Well, I'm going to kick it off and ask you, what is one thing about brain injury that people often get wrong? Oh, that's such a good question. I think from my experience, the thing that people mostly get wrong is that if there's a brain injury, that it would be apparent, right? That it would be visible. And often brain injuries and the lingering effects are non-apparent and invisible. Yeah. I think that's such an important Thing. We call it the invisible re- injury for a reason. Yeah. Because it isn't visible. And people, I think, don't un- understand what is going on right. with that right. injury. Yeah. And again, if, if you <clears throat> if you hung out with me long enough, it would be visible. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just in the initial potentially meeting me, you might not realize. But if we sat next to each other at work in the cube farm 
after a while, you'd be like, there's some weird thing she does. Why? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering if you can tell me your brain injury story. Mm, Sure. And whatever Um, you want to tell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate um, just the opportunity to always articulate it. So I had planned a solo trip to Australia and I was doing a mixture of like hiking and some city and just, you know, really exploring the country and took a month to do that. I made the plans while I was on the ground. So I ended up joining a, like a hiking group of, you know, mostly local Australians for like a two or three day trip into far North Queensland, if anyone knows the geography. So sort of like mixture of beach and a little bit of rainforesty. And um, we were crossing a very shallow creek and it was slippery and the creek, you know, it barely came up to my ankles. It was a very shallow creek, but the rocks are very slippery. And then it went into like a reservoir pool, like almost like a little bit of a waterfall. So I slipped on the rock, um, on the rocks and I went from feet to head, nothing, there was no body or no part of my body helped brace the fall. And I went right to my head and then I rolled. So I ended up then like rolling down that little, I mean, you know, I'm a little distorted because I was the one who was in it. It was probably two or three feet. It wasn't that big, but I fell. And then I remember, you know, I got pretty banged up on the rocks on the way down and then the impact on the way down. And then a few um, fellow tourists like ran and just like walked down the side of that little waterfall thing and, and helped me get out. And I was just really disorientated, not like I definitely blacked out because I don't remember parts of it, but then I just felt woozy, but I could stand and they kept staying like, stop, like stay. And then I remember one of the tour guides said like, do you want us to get an ambulance? And (laughs) which is the funny. So at the time I was a freelancer and I did not have employer sponsored healthcare, which is very common in the U S and I remember buying a package of extra healthcare to go to Australia. And I remember seeing that it said to get medevaced out, it was $250,000. So in that moment, my answer was no, (laughs) I'm good. Right. And because I was alone. Yeah. Totally crazy. Right. And because I was alone, meaning I was with people, but no one who could help be an advocate for me, no one who could say, yeah, maybe you do. You're not really acting right. Or you're seeming weird. Right. So I spent like the next day and a half at base camp. Like I didn't do any of the day hikes and I just was really disorientated and eventually got back into Sydney and was flying out like two days later. And I remember coming into the hotel lobby and I hadn't showered. I had some of the same clothes on because you're not packing heavy, right? So my clothes were still ripped. They were still bloody. Mm. And I remember a a fellow tourist, when I walked in, just went, are you okay? Can someone get this woman medical attention? And I was sort of like, what woman? (laughs) Right? Because again, I just, right, right. And I think that's so for me and my personal experience, it's just been a story of always resilient. Like I'll figure it out. All right. This happened. This stinks. I don't like this. Okay. I'll figure it out. And then it wasn't until I got back to the States again, like two or three days later that I did see a doctor for the first time. And they were like, Oh, you've a, you have a concussion, pretty serious, but you're, you know, you're going to be fine. Except I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And as the time, as we know, brain injuries can be insidious. And as the months went by, 
it was getting worse and worse and worse. And it took, I would say, I would say somewhere between six and eight months post return for the the real beauty and glory of it all to really start showing up on a regular basis for me. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And was that point like one of the hardest points in your recovery? Yeah. I think at that point, again, like the way my brain was working is I have to stay employed to keep the health insurance to get well. So I have to fake this. I have to figure out how to show up so no one knows or that, again, I don't become a liability in some way or get fired, which um, I did ultimately get fired um, because of my brain injury. Um, and I think that the the way it represented for me was, you know, obviously being really light sensitive at any given time going into um, positional vertigo. So like things that were on the floor and now on the ceiling and the room spinning, right. And that could happen at any given time. I was feeling really underwater that I was like, things were muffled and garbled. I would be at times trying to speak or find words and lose the sense of words and know what I want to say, but use fillers like, um, like, um, you know, um, cause I can't find the words. I also had that constant sensation of being on a treadmill. And if anyone's ever walked or run on a treadmill, sometimes when you get off, there's that feeling in your feet, like you're still on it. Yeah. That would last for months. And then I would always be tripping and falling because my body didn't know how to readjust for whatever reason to my surroundings. And then I also have like what I would call is like the whoosh where I could be sitting on the couch. Let's say I'm watching a movie, nothing is happening and you might as well run at me full speed and pushed me where I literally like jolt and snap and I feel that impact. And it's like getting almost like getting hit or knocked over. And then it's like, like this huge spin. Um, I mean, and I can go on and on with lots of the other joys of figuring this out. And then, you know, I live in New York city, so sound and noises can be so disorientating for me too. Um, the screeching of the subway or a bus that very, very loud and tense would make me have to grab the wall. And then in workplace environments, lighting stairs, um, being, having my workstation face like a hallway or something with perpetual movement and then just being woozy all the time because having professional like perpetual movement within my peripheral vision would be constantly setting me off or trying to find the right height with the computer and the chair and all of these things were constantly what I was dealing with on a regular basis just to show up and do my job. Yeah. I have so much compassion for her. Like the younger me, I have so much compassion for her. Like just where, I mean, I could cry for how hard I was on myself. My Mm -hmm. mindset was figure it out, Griffin. Mm -hmm. This is it. Figure it out. Like there is no hero. There is no savior. You have to figure this out. So whatever that means, you figure it out. Um, And, you know, cut scene. I did. (laughs) Right. But maybe it could have been a little bit easier. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think number one, let me back up. I have chills right now. 
because that mindset of, I have to figure this out myself, what the hell is happening? I need to get better or I have to just hold on to this job or go to school, whatever it is. It seems like this is the only way to just stay struggling day to day, barely clawing your way through it. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people just don't know what type of help they can get. Right. Right. And I would also say though, in fairness, there wasn't a lot of help. I mean, this injury was 19 years ago. Um, and it took 14 years to really figure out what I did break in my head. Well, technically my ears canals, but my head. Right. And I went to many doctors and there was one particular neurologist that while he, um, well, you, I, you would have to bleep out the expletives that I <laughs> said at the time. I thank him because had he not been so dismissive of me, mm. I don't, I think he was the one who snapped me into it. I mean, he told me that he's seen us before it's progressive and I should avoid all planes or trains or boats. And, and I lived on the Island of Manhattan and I was like, so no planes, trains, and automobiles. What am I? So like I can't John leave my Candy house. Movie? Right. So I can't leave my house. Oh. And you're telling me no. And I just, I remember standing up and my mom had gone with me to that particular appointment. Um, you know, and I remember standing up, my mother being like, honey, the doctor's not finished. And I was like, good, I'll meet you in the lobby because I'm done. And I was like, you are not my God. And you will not tell me how my life is going to go. Did you say that right then? hundred percent said that right then and walked yes. out of the office and went to the, and my mother was like, Oh, <laughs> like she was like grabbing her purse, apologizing. Meanwhile, I'm like, don't apologize to him, <laughs> you know, but today I have so like, I get it. He was doing the best he knew how, right? and that's the way he was showing up. And thank that. God it didn't work for me. My body's having all these reactions right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm like, number one. Yeah. He is a neurologist. He has all these letters behind his name. And so it would be hard for a lot of folks to tell him what you told him. So yeah. hats off to you for being able to stand Thanks. up, stand your ground and be like, oh no, we yeah. aren't doing that. That's not my story. No. Mm-mm. I mean, I had a, I had another neurologist tell me if I was that dizzy, I should carry rocks in my pockets so I can feel more stable. Right. And we, we know this and it's somewhat gender normative, but we know that the medical community often doesn't take females seriously and thinks that our problem is that we need to carry rocks in our pockets versus that I had blown out my superior canals. Or you have anxiety. Or you have anxiety. Which I'm sure you do, but there's more to the story. Right. 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 Yeah. So talk to me about your ears. Like what, what, how did you find that out? And what, when were you able to get clear on what was going on? Yeah. So my career was in advertising and marketing and, um, that at times brought me a lot of privilege and a lot of access to things and and data and information that, um, maybe the average person wouldn't have. Um, so some of my friends at sports illustrated told me that, there was a top doctor in Chicago who did a lot of work on, you know, Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bears, and that if I could get in to see him, you know, maybe he could help me try to figure some of this stuff out. Because at this point, I'm still getting post-concussion syndrome, like no one's saying what it is. 
Yeah. Um, and I had sent all, so I, I used their name and leverage to say, can I get an appointment? I mean, I still had to wait like four or five months to get the appointment, but it did bump me up a little bit because he's very amazing and very busy. Um, flew myself to Chicago, had sent him in advance all everything, everything I had, every MRI, every film, every, everything. And, um, I walked into his office. Um, and once I, you know, was in his physical office, not just the practice office, he said, um, I'm pretty sure I know what it is and I'm going to spend the next 48 hours proving it, but it's going to make you really uncomfortable. And I just started crying, not because it was uncomfortable, but because it was the first time someone is like, I know what this is. Wow. And then he did. He, he took me through a series of tests, which were, they at times were miserable, but I was like, nope. And he, do you want to stop? I'm like, nope, we're doing this. We're, that's again, that tenacity, that grit, just being like, we are putting a name to this thing. It has been, that was like 2013. So what's the math on that? That it had been like 10 or 11 years at that point of getting no diagnosis. Um, and had, had anyone given you post-concussion syndrome at that point or given you, no one ever said those words no one said in that words. way. They just said you had a concussion and we, we can't explain it. We don't know. Okay. Um, so he then said it's superior canal dissident syndrome, which is because I broke my superior canal and whether I had kind of flimsy ones to begin with and the head injury took it over the edge. Like we don't really know, but I do remember him showing me like zooming in on the films on the MRI and he'd be like, you see this? I was like, yeah, all that black. He's like, it's not supposed to be black. There's nothing there. And I was like, oh, mine's missing. And he's like, or it broke off. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And then seeing that what we're supposed to be tubes I'll call them, right? It's bone, but it was supposed to be tubes. For me, instead of being a circle was the letter U, like literally seeing that at different points, the top was blown out or the bottom, like it was literally being connected by like the teeniest pieces of bone fragments that were connecting it together. And he's like, and that's what I thought it was, but no one had ever zoned in before in that section of my ears to poke around and find it and to give the explanation. So what, what what I, what say that again? What was his specialty? Um, I mean, I'd call him a amazing ENT. His name is Dr. Timothy Hain, H-A-I-N. He's also known as the dizzy doctor or the dizzy doc.com. Um, and like, to me, he's God, like he's amazing. Um, I just like always love to, you know, yeah, yeah. professionals. He was, are, um, I mean, amazing. People. I just remember after sending them catering a big lunch for the entire office and they were like, why? And I was like, you, like <laughs> the least I could do is buy you guys lunch. They're like, no one's ever done this for us before. And I'm like, dude, 14 years of trying to figure it out. And one guy in 48 hours is like, this is it. I'm like, I can cater your office lunch. Um, and, uh, and just every step of the way, like their professionalism, their ability to, for me, move mountains, meaning um, it just so happened that the company I worked for was headquartered in Chicago. So my health insurance was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. 
so it helped also. And just like, it was like the right timing, like finally synchronicity was going in my favor where he was connected to Northwestern and he's like, all right, we'll make some calls. We'll squeeze you in, you know, again, move your flight. Cause we don't know when we're going to be done because you're not on the, like, you're not on the books for an appointment. So we're going to try to find ways to squeeze you in. And I think I, you know, planned on two days and ended up staying like five days to stay for the extra um, tests that we wanted to do. Um, and again, it was, it was so worth it to, to finally have just the relief of having something to call it and mm-hmm. then having language so that I could really be able to articulate. Because at the same time, I went, I started to notice patterns and I started to keep a logbook of food, environment, experiences, and what was happening. Try to like, again, be detective and ascertain what was going on. And it took me into functional medicine and functional nutrition. So I, um, I became, you know, a certified nutrition educator through that, not because I wanted to practice, but because it was the way to get the education, to be able to be the advocate for my own health and to be able to have conversations now with doctors and various medical practitioners where I have language to help explain what is going on with me. Um, And then that's really where I got as part of understanding like anatomy, physiology and food environment and understanding that, that impact of how anatomy and physiology and food and by food, we mean again, everything from like the food you're eating to mold and scent and smells. Cause for me, scent, you know, you spray Windex near me and you can knock me over like the scent of product. Um, that whole discovery is where I really started learning about the brain and then positive behavioral psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, and really understanding that, yes, this is real, Mm -hmm. but if I learn to work my mindset, I can work within my limitation. Yes. Please say more about that. The CBT Um, and the mindset and, and what connection you found with that. Yeah. I think just like one, it, it helped me realize that I was spending so much energy trying to go pre-injury and that's never going to happen. I'm never going to be pre-injury. I'm now in post-injury. So, so much of my own personal suffering was in how can I go back to the start? Like, how can I fix that? And I can't fix it. I have to fix a new normal. So there was a lot of mindset work in you know, first of all, resetting my brain and like grieving nice. that I'm not going to have that back. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we grieve because we love. So understanding that those experiences in the first part of my life, it is not over. It's just going to look differently now mm-hmm. and allowing myself to feel a little bad for myself for a little bit. Okay. That was first, right. Cause we can't deny that it's going to keep coming up and like yes. smack ourselves in the face if we keep pushing down those emotions. And then part two of it was then, okay, so what am I going to do with this information? How am I moving forward? And then refusing to be a victim because victims do not recover. And in that mindset saying like, well, why not me? Everybody's got something. So why, why not me have this thing? And how am I going to use this? And I always say like, my TBI was the greatest gift I never asked for, right? Where it set up my life and set my course for what's possible now. And then what I get to do today and how I get to help people. And again, 
it's not about necessarily helping people with TBIs. It's helping people with any block or limitation in front of them. And for me, it's always around career because that's where mine played out so much and helping people reset what's possible for them. So all of that CBT and positive psychology, you know, I never stopped working in corporate through all of this. I just started performing at a level where like, I'm getting raises, I'm getting promoted. People who are reporting to me are happier. They're doing better. Clients and leadership are like, this is great. Like all of this was working and I was just applying and they didn't care. They were like two for the price of one. We have an award-winning strategist and a behavioral coach. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's just fire. I'm just taking it all in really. Mm I wonder if we're going back to that moment. You said there's two parts. There's the grief and feeling the feelings. And I believe that fully as my role as a therapist, of course, and then moving on. And you can't have one without the other. I truly believe that. I'm wondering when that moment happened for you, or maybe it was moments. No, it was a moment. It wasn't. Tell me. Um, So there's a... um, she calls herself a medical intuitive. Her name is Carolyn Mace and she's written a bunch of books. And I went to see her speak because I thought well, this is actually pretty on point. People who have had chronic illness or injuries and how do they move past it? I didn't really know that much about her, but I was like, um, again, my, part of my own CBT, my cognitive behavioral therapy was what is the action I need to take today to be one step closer to the life I want? understanding that it's going to be a process. So she was, uh, again, I live in New York city. She was speaking, you know, maybe 90 minutes outside of New York city. And I was like, I'm going grabbed a friend who was interested too. And it was like a weekend of her doing this work. And I remember the moment where, um, for whatever reason, whatever, I don't even remember the question she asked, but in the audience, she picked on um, picked me to answer the question. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recover from a, uh, a brain injury. And um, she said the, that the way she said it, and I'm paraphrasing was that your problem and your suffering is that you're trying to go back to pre-injury. And mm-hmm. um, she made that, I want to say it's called Wabi Sabi. I could be totally off on this, but there is a idea within um Japanese culture that with in pottery, the break, actually they fill it then with gold filled. And it's quite beautiful when they intentionally break pottery and then fill it. And she turned me on to that concept of like the pottery was beautiful before, but now it's even more beautiful because it has room and space for more to come in. Whereas when it was not broken, it only had its own original shape. And she's Mm -hmm. like, and you can look at that as your brain too, that your head injury was one way before, but now this crack is letting the light in. This crack is like, you know, and I think Lennon Cohen has a quote around it too, right? It's where the crack, the crack is where the light gets in. And that's what shifted me. Then I was like, okay, this can be something different. I can now use this for something. And it did. I mean, it really took me from a very professionally driven, needing to succeed, wanting to deceive, wanting to achieve individual And it didn't take that away. It just helped me redefine what success was going to be for me. And yes, succeeding professionally was part of it, but I am not my title and I am not what I do for a living. 
I'm lots of different things. And this was all part of the process that got me to freeing myself and seeing things differently. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I even wanted to add, I'm not my brain injury. I'm not my brain injury. Yeah. 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 And I also, at times I play with, like, sometimes I'll find myself slip and say my TBI and I'm like the TBI, right? Like sometimes I want to own it and take possession of it. And other times I'm like, no, it's not going to define me. And I just go through different stages and I don't, there's no one way of doing it, but just, I notice in my own language at times, I use different ways of phrasing it based on whatever is floating around in my head at the time. Makes sense. Yeah. So I could talk to you all day, (laughs) of course, but I'm, I'm wondering if you could share maybe one tip, either a mindset tip or just something in your journey that other survivors could use that would be helpful to them. Hmm. Okay. Um, So I'm going to do two. I'm going to do one physical, one mindset. So from a physical standpoint, figure out what works and what doesn't work for you on a food and environment standpoint, whether you do it by your own process of elimination, whether you do it with a professional or a functional nutritionist, I really found for myself and others I've spoken to that that work is worth it. Um, For me, removing uh, foods with tyramine in them and it's amino acid, and also making sure that I stay as anti-inflammatory as possible really helps my, um, when I get confused or cloudy or brain foggy or, you know, any of my symptoms, I also notice that, you know, each year around the holidays, it tends to get a little bit worse And I'm like, oh, well, let's look at what we're putting in our body. Right. So things like that. Um, so that's one thing. And just every body is different and bio-individuality and figuring out what are your potential inflammatory or food-based triggers that might impact your brain? There are some obvious ones that most people would say, but you know, for me, it was green apples. Like who knew? That's what I'm saying. For me, it was almonds, right? I spent so much of my time in an airport and what did I do? I would grab the shrink wrapped apple because it was safe on the run and a bag of almonds, not realizing that I was actually creating a lot of my own challenges, right? So you have to figure that out for yourself. I would say that's one physically. And then from the mindset standpoint, and this is the work I do with my clients today as a career strategist and really helping them reshape and reform what it is that they want in their careers is you can't go from the positive thought to the negative thought. It doesn't work, right? It's BS. This idea of 10 steps to positive thinking. Like, no, because I can tell you to think something positive and you will. And then you'll go right back to thinking your negative thought. So I have to take you from the negative thought that you're currently having to the positive thought. And the only way I do that is I have to pass through neutral, right? So if you think about it, if anybody drives a, um, an automatic, I used to have a stick shift, my first car, right? I can't go from first to fifth gear. I have to go up the gears and pass through neutral. So that's the analogy that I like to make. So I can't go from, oh my God, I had a head injury. This is the worst thing ever to, oh my God, this is the greatest gift ever. People in my office will like throw stuff at me, literally. (laughs) Right. So finding the thoughts in between those two, two extremes that feel much more neutral that you can believe today, right? So going from this is the worst thing ever 
to this thing happened already has neutralized the thought because worse mm-hmm. is an opinion. This thing happened now becomes a fact. It's neutralized, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, starting to build, like it's possible this will look differently tomorrow. We're not saying I'm going to be healed. Although I, for me, for my definition, I am, there's still challenges, but for my definition, I am. Yeah. Um, that you're just finding the way to really question your thinking that you're having around your particular challenge and then finding a way to make it more believable and neutralizing it. And those would be my two tips that I. Those are great. Those yeah. Are great. I often will say things like along those that going through neutral or pretend you're a reporter. Can you just state the facts? What are the, mm. just the facts, man? Totally. So we'll do that. And so I, that similar language. I like that a lot. Yeah. Good. So in closing, I have a couple more questions for you. Sure. Fun one. What is your favorite holiday food and who, or what does it remind you of? <laughs> um, so my favorite holiday food is um, my grandmother is from the Ukraine and we made a lot of pierogies. Um, which are, if anyone has to know, they're sort of every, I think like every culture has a dumpling of some sort, but these are um, dough stuffed with potato and a little bit of cheese or maybe some vegetables or meat, you know, it just depends on each family has their own recipe. Um, So yeah, my grandmother is 99. um, And, uh, you know, we we have them around the December-based holidays every year around Christmas. And it totally reminds me of my grandmother. Wonderful. And I don't have them any other time in the year because they're too inflammatory for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, in, in closing, what is one thing that you would tell your younger self? Mm. Gosh, it's a mixture between like you're forgiven and it's going to be okay. And the forgiven part is for so long, I blamed myself. Mm. Why did I do it that way? Why did I go alone? Like whatever it happened. So that like the forgiveness of, okay, but I also got to see Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that giving myself that. And then, you know, if you had said to me then, like, not only is it all going to be okay, not only is it all going to be okay, but that I am going to, um, you know, find a way to find career joy again and find joy in my life and be able to have my own business that I get to help other people. Like, yeah, that, that would have made the journey a lot easier at the time, but knowing that it's going to be, I don't know what okay means for, for you, but for me, it's like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. So good. Jill, thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. I really appreciate you inviting me here. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 